it's the same thing I have with people who wear face paint to sporting events. Have we discussed this? No. So you you go to an event. It's a big game. It, it's a, it's a playoff. It's a Super Bowl. It's some huge event, and you paint your face in the colors of your team of your choosing. You are all ready to go, and and they hit the the court, the field, the ice, the what have you, and it's not even close. And your team is blown out of the water early. It is ugly. It is depressing. It is everything. The game is over. You need to leave the venue. You are sadly trudging back to your vehicle, your your Uber, your Lyft, your your public transportation, <laughs> and you're still painted. This is why, with your hosts Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. I feel like you talk to people about Disney World nowadays. And everyone seems to approach it like Vietnam in that <laughs> okay. you need to have a plan going in. And if you don't, it could get very ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Have you found that? Because you've been, you went over a hundred times as a kid. It, it it has changed drastically since then. And in my opinion, not, not for the better. I don't, I, mm-hmm. I find that stressful. Um, you know, my idea of a vacation, I, I do like to plan what I'm going to do that day, but you know, down to the minute, uh, you know, I just, and six months out, I mean, you're basically planning what rides you're going to ride six months out down to the hour essentially. Um, and, and, uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not into that at all. Um, I know some people who really are into that, but to me that seems stressful, especially for someone who has done the parks so many times and just, I don't need to see everything. I Right. You know, it's, I just kind of want to go there and just bum around and, and hop on a ride or whatever, you know? Um, right. Well, I feel so. like it has to take, it takes away to the whole point, like some of the magic, even the, even the whole scheduling of the characters. I mean, that, you know, that ruins everything in my mind. When I was a kid to spot someone from afar, Chip and Dale from afar and yeah. sprint over to grab them was so exciting. And now again to your point you have to schedule you have to have your your phone out with everywhere you have to be it's like being at work it's not a vacation (laughs) it's worse than running a podcast (laughs) and i didn't even realize the character thing until i went to disneyland for the first time and i remember the mad hatter just appeared out of nowhere and started doing photo ops and i was like what is this sorcery? (laughs) There's characters just randomly walking around meeting people. Wow. Okay. Um, Yeah. Like it's, uh, it's, it's definitely not a, um, it's, it's a very structured vibe now. And, um, you know, I definitely have very strong opinions on the whole, my magic plus thing and how it was a big waste of money and how fast pass actually screws up, uh, line time wait times more than it helps them but you know that's from just from my experience I, I know there's a lot of other people who never experienced it the old way who think it's great now and and that's fine you know if people like it they like it and you're speaking from some experience how many times have you been to let's say disney world um jeez I, I i would say a few hundred probably over 200. I, I mean, it, we were there every, every weekend for, for a long time. 
Um, my mom would get, uh, at the time for Florida residents, you could get this thing called a three season salute pass. And that became a four season salute pass. And they, they let you go during all the down times, which don't exist anymore. But, um, but it was basically kind of like six months out of the year, eight months out of the year, you could go as much as you wanted. And there was just blackouts for all the really busy times. And mm-hmm. she used to kind of just drop us off there like it was like the local playground and just let us run wild and say, come meet back up for lunch. And, uh, you know, because it was a safe place to be and, and we knew it really well. And and so it was, yeah, it was, it was almost like the neighborhood park to, to my sister and I. And um, so I, I don't I don't know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so the, you then go ahead. Let's flash forward a few years. Mm hmm. You write a book about how to sneak in, hook up, get high, and flash the cameras at your neighborhood park. That's a good description. <laughs> yeah. What made you think this was a good idea? Um, it was it was a lifetime of, of research. Um, <laughs> I took a break from, from Walt Disney World um, between, I would say, college and my mid-20s. Um, and then... Um, got married and, and the person I was with, um, my ex was super, she'd never been there before. So we went and, um, she just fell in love with it. And I kind of fell in love with it again through her eyes. Mm -hmm. And, um, she, uh, was, had some disabilities and they're just so great about, uh, accommodating that. And so it became a place that we knew that, um, we could have a, fun, relaxing time at. Um, and so we just started going back once, twice a year. And, and through that, I, like I said, I rekindled my, my love of Walt Disney world and, um, and started remembering all these things that I'd done in the past. And, and, um, what I was looking for when we started going again was tour, a, a, a travel guide, like a tips and tricks type travel guide for someone like me an adult with no children who likes to drink, who likes to have fun at, at night, um, you know, doesn't go to sleep at eight at night and rope drop <laughs> at six in the morning or whatever. Um, <laughs> and that guy did not exist. They had like mm-hmm. some cheesy ones like Walt Disney World for couples or um, – but they were just awful. It was like they were written for 80-year-olds or something. Um, <laughs> right. Like a romantic so, spin uh, on the carousel. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, while you're soaking your dentures or something. Right, but, uh, fireworks yeah. above. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was one thing. I realized that the, the guidebook that I wanted to read didn't exist. Um, and in, in parallel, um, I'd kind of built up this pretty big tip sheet that I would give people. I, I, you know, a lot of the people I work with, the guys would be like, oh man, the wife's dragging me and the kids to, uh, to Disney world and I'm going to hate it. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like here, here's this tip sheet. Like check these things out. There's some fun stuff to do there. And they come back and they'd be like, wow, thanks. That totally made it bearable. Like I had a, I surprisingly had a really good time. Um, and so it was kind of a combination of having this kind of tip sheet oh, and people loved hearing the stories about my cast member friends and about the crazy stuff I used to get into when I was younger. And they would just, for whatever reason, people were were enthralled with that. To me, it was just like stuff I did when I was younger, but, um, right. 
so it was a combination of all those things where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to write this book that I want to read. Um, and that's, that's basically where it came from. So how has it been received when you first wrote it? What sort of feedback <laughs> did you get? So I, so I write the book and I submit it to agents and publishers and nobody wants to touch it with a 10 foot pool. Um, <laughs> Because they're all scared to death of Disney legal. Right. And the people who do want to touch it are not going to give me anything for it. Uh, just terrible deals. So um, I had in in the past, I had recorded, uh, I had a band and we'd recorded our own albums and self-distributed. Um, I made a feature film uh, when I, in the past um, on my own. And I was like, so how hard can self-publishing a book be compared to those things? So I decided to self-publish and um, in conjunction with the YouTube channel, which had videos of me, I knew people wouldn't believe a lot of this stuff in the book unless they actually saw proof of it. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so I, st I had this YouTube channel that actually had video of me doing a lot of this stuff that I was doing in the book. And, and I think there was, there was a synergy there um, and I was also going back and doing stuff with the cover model from the book and posting videos of that. And I think there was, a, there was kind of a cross promotion between the YouTube channel and the book and the cover of the book is great. And, and again, great. the fact that nothing like it existed, um, that it did, it just kind of blew up like immediately. And, um, yeah, I got, I got, uh, lots of threats of physical violence, um, <laughs> and, From from mice or from <laughs> fans of Disney? From fans of Disney, I, okay. I call them I call them pixie dusters. Um, was the toy, was the term that I uh, kind of coined back in the day? Um, the people who think that uh, Disney can do no wrong that the second you walk on property, um, no one has sex, no one drinks, no one does drugs, uh, see, and that everything is magical and wonderful. But see, that um, makes no sense because it's the happiest place on earth. And all of the things right? you just mentioned make people very happy <laughs> when done in the right way. <laughs> that was always, that was always my opinion. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, so, so definitely a lot of, a lot of very angry people, um, and if you, one of my favorite things to do is to go on Amazon and look at the one star reviews of the book because I just imagine people just screaming at their computer screen, <laughs> foaming at the mouth, and just banging on their on their keyboard writing these reviews while wearing their um, lanyards with all their pins. Sure. <laughs> with their pins, yeah, exactly, um, and their mouse ears. Yes, uh, and uh, and then there were the people um, who were kind of like oh here's a kindred spirit i didn't know people like you existed now i kind of feel okay letting my disney flag fly because i'm a, a tattooed pierced adult with no kids who was embarrassed to be in a disney but now there's someone else like me um or like i said the dads who suddenly were excited about going to disney um so it, there was a, there was a very much a mixed a mixed reaction um to it when it came out and to this day it, that hasn't stopped have you heard from the company itself i mean your your cover like you said it's great but she's wearing mouse ears and i just feel like and even the font with which your name is written on the cover i feel like at some point somebody in a three-finger glove has got to tap you on the shoulder and say excuse me maybe a little higher pitch than that but <laughs> you get the gist yeah i mean that was obviously one of my 
big fears. And again, one of the reasons why publishers weren't willing to pick it up. I mean, I was worried that I was just going to get sued into oblivion and, um, and, you know, lose everything. Um, I, that didn't happen. I think, um, it, what I attribute that to is kind of what's known as the Streisand effect where, um, uh, Barbara Streisand tried to sue uh, these people who had published photos of her house, basically. And instead of uh, instead of keeping those photos secret, it ended up blowing up, and and everyone in the world ended up seeing the pictures of her house. So Disney kind of didn't want to, I think, give me the additional publicity that I would have gotten by having that lawsuit uh, been made public. Um, I mean, they have- you know, also. No, go ahead. No, just they, they probably have bigger fish to fry. And I think you're right. From a PR perspective, I would, you know, if I were their PR person, I would have recommended just let this let this slide, just let it do what it's going to do. Don't give it any credence, good or bad. Hopefully it'll go away. Yeah, exactly. And, and pay and, attention you know, to those secret corners and get those people out of there. That too. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you're exactly right. So... On on the one hand, um, it would have just given me more publicity and kind of blown up and gone national and all that. Uh, on the other hand, the book's not that bad, you know. It's it's not mm-hmm. like it's not like I'm promoting violence or destruction of property or any anything like that. I'm obviously a, a Disney lover and explicitly say in the book that. Uh, I don't want to ruin anyone's good time. People paid a lot of money for these vacations. Don't, don't mess that up. Um, you do, you say that repeatedly. You make that very yeah, clear. And, and, and I believe it. And, and uh, you know, the other thing is I'm appealing to an audience with this book. I'm marketing to an audience with this book that Disney being the squeaky clean company that they are, can't really market to, can't really appeal to, um, you know, they can't do PG-13 commercials kind of like Universal can because Universal's got that edgy uh, uh, type of promo stuff that, that Disney just doesn't have. They're a family company. So, mm-hmm. so you know, in that respect, it was doing – it was helping them out. And then <laughs> I did hear, uh, to your point, that managers were buying copies of the book and passing out to their employees <laughs> saying, here's what you got to look for. Here, here's how to spot the scan. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, and they cracked. They've since the book came out, they have they have locked down. I would say seventy five percent of the things that I talked about back then. Um, wow. And you know, people are always going to find ways to skirt the system, but uh, but it it was basically like just handing them a guidebook that said, "All right, here's what you got to fix, guys." Yeah. <laughs> right, but even still, I mean, I feel like. The book's enough of a roadmap where maybe some of the things you suggest are no longer available, but it definitely kind of gives you some cookie crumbs to go, well, here's mm-hmm. here's the way you should approach this. Exactly. And, it, you know, if you're as bored as I was with going to the Magic Kingdom for the millionth time, then, then yeah, you'll probably want to take half a day or a day to kind of find the new loopholes or whatever. But your typical vacationing guest is, is not going to have any patience for digging those things up. Because one of the things I love that I loved in, in the book was your um, your idea of the resort hopping tours. Mm. Is, that, is that still a thing that's available? Oh yeah, yeah. Can you do that? Oh yeah, yeah. To do the uh, monorail so, bar crawl, for example. Yeah. And that was what I was going to ask you about because that sounds completely delightful. Yeah, 
Yeah. Can you explain what the monorail bar crawl is? What I realized uh, at a certain point was that these resorts, these hotels that they have are uh, immaculately themed, just as well themed as the parks are. And mm -hmm. um, being bored of the parks or just maybe not wanting to, to deal with crowds, I would go resort hop, which just means going from resort to resort. And at the Magic Kingdom, that's very easy because the resorts are all connected by the monorail. Monorails, you know, transportation system of the future. Anyone who's seen The Simpsons knows <laughs> monorail, monorail, monorail. Uh, and uh, and it, it makes a stop at the Polynesian, which is kind of, uh, you know, like a Hawaiian-themed uh, tiki Polynesian themed thing, uh, the contemporary resort, which is kind of futuristic. And then the grand Floridian, which is kind of, I don't, I don't know, a ritzy kind of seaside, uh, rich people hotel. I don't know how else you would describe it. Um, mm -hmm. that sounds apt. Yeah. So each of yeah. these resorts has t two to four, uh, bars in them and the bars are very well themed. And so I would hop on the monorail, maybe start at the Polynesian and go to the Tambu Lounge, which is, serves wonderful tiki drinks. And now they actually have a Trader Sam's in there, which serves even better tiki drinks. Uh, then, then go on to the, uh, the Grand Floridian to um, there's, there's this bar in there called Misner's, uh, which I think they're now redoing as a, a Beauty and a Beast theme bar. But anyway, um, they would have a, a big band playing outside in the, in the lobby, and you could sit there and get a martini and listen to a big band. And then hop back on the monorail and go to the Contemporary and go to the, uh, the, top, the bar at the top of the world and kind of uh, have some sake while watching fireworks out the window. Um, so it, it was... It, it was just this whole new way of having an incredibly well-themed experience that had nothing to do with riding rides or going on the parks. Well, aside from the monorail, which is a pretty cool ride and, and then just getting, you know, tipsy and um, not having to get in your car, being able to just hop on a monorail and, and, and uh, go to the next bar. So. And that sounds like the perfect adult Wait, like, I mean, like, you just hear you describe it. It's the perfect adult way to say, here's what we're going to do at Disney. That's... Yeah, yeah. That you would think, why doesn't somebody market this? Exactly. And um, <laughs> it's especially great for groups, getting a group of friends together and going, doing that. Uh, it's a ton of fun. And recently, uh, my publishing company, Bamboo Forest Publishing, has, uh, we released a book called drinking at disney and it's it's a review of all the bars in <laughs> walt disney world and there's a lot of them um so every single bar reviewed with it's a full full color um book tons of pictures but one of the sections of the book has multiple kind of drinking plans like this where it's it's a bar hopping uh plan basically but uh right and and of course mm -hmm. there's the infamous drinking around the world at epcot where you get a drink at every country and world showcase um that's in there but so is the monorail bar crawl and and um for example now disney springs has so many bars uh which used to be downtown disney that you can you can definitely bar hop there and um you know it, as a local that's fun as someone who maybe just wants to go down and not spend a lot of money, that's one way that you don't even have to get a park ticket to have a, a yeah. blast. Uh, 
And again, that was that was created out of sheer boredom on my part. <laughs> uh, and uh... <laughs> but there's something wonderful about it because y- you know, like you said, yes, I've heard of the the drinking around the world at Epcot, and this just sounds so much more enjoyable. Yeah, um, it, <laughs> much more civil. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wouldn't be civil in my family. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. This is why, yeah, um, one of the many reasons <laughs> Heidi and I live in different states. Yes. Um, nice. We, d- we define civility differently. Um, now, it was something uh, I'm sure you have found, and in our podcasting career, we have found that sex sells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Where is the best place for people to slow bone at Disney? No one likes my answer to this question. <laughs> yeah, go um, ahead. Crush our spirits. <laughs> let us you down. You crushed everybody else's about Disney. Yeah. May as well crush ours. <laughs> the, best, the, um, the best place to get it on in the parks specifically are in the companion restrooms because they have a lock on the door. So this is the restroom where you're supposed to uh, bring in someone with a wheelchair or um, I, I guess maybe – if you have kids, you can bring them in there. Um, so there, it's not, it's, it's like I said, one of the few places, I maybe the only place on, in the parks that has a lock on the door. Um, and you know, Disney keeps their bathrooms very clean. Um, so yeah, that's, that's like, if, if, if you don't want to get caught and, you're just like, oh, well, we need to have sex right now. Uh, those are that. That's definitely the best place. But are those balconies at the Contemporary still available? Because that sounded pretty cool. They you can tell are, which parts of the book definitely I definitely sure are. And, um, <laughs> I we read it all, but yeah. So yeah, you know when you when you go out there, uh, those those things. I don't think anyone knows they can go out there because the doors. So what these are, each floor of the contemporary has a, a balcony at the end. And when you're, when you're walking down the hallway of each floor, you get to a door and it's kind of an uninviting gray door with no sign on it. And some, I, I, no one ever goes out there and yeah, you step out there and there's, it's semi, private but if you want to not be private you can also go out on the ledge and kind of watch the monorail go by underneath watch the fireworks going on um yeah that's that's definitely still a thing what about the swiss family robinson treehouse that's not even there anymore right it's tarzan's now no it's a it's tarzan in uh in disneyland um yeah i mean that that's risky but during the slow seasons, right. nobody goes on Swiss Family Robinson. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Does Swiss Family Robinson get you in the mood? No. Do we need to unpack this? <laughs> we don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just, no, really, just wanted to ask. Have you received any, I'm sure you have, any interesting additional suggestions or tips from readers that perhaps you hadn't uncovered yet in all of your time there? Oh yeah, and and you know a lot of those have come from um, uh, current and former cast members um, who uh, who love the book and uh, and you know give me stories and kind of heads ups and and stuff like that um, and and more than that from the actual readers, there's a lot of people who are just like, hey, just to let you know, like 
they shut this down. Like this isn't working anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it, it's things are constantly in flux there. Um, so it, it's good. It is nice to have people who who do keep me updated on those things, and and people get very very involved in this sort of thing. And uh, it's funny. I um I I've put the book out. Like I said, I self published, and I did have a graphic designer. I did have a layout artist. What I didn't have was an editor. Um, and the first kind of edition of the book that came out definitely had some issues. And um, one day I get this email. And it's got this Word document attached that's like 30 pages long. And it is from this dude who's just like, here's everything that you got wrong in this book. Here's everything you misspelled. Here's every attraction you named wrong. Here's all the wrong things, the facts that you had wrong. And I was like, the nerve of this person. What a <laughs> jerk. Like, And then I'm like, ah, crap. He's like 100% right with everything he's saying. This man is now my in-house editor, so I, I hire him go. on for every single uh, book that I publish now. And uh, so, yeah, it, uh, he was started as a fan, and and now now I pay him lots of money to to edit the books. Perfect, everybody wins. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. In reading your book, it's I grew up a total Disney girl, and you know, but haven't been in a few years. I've certainly been many times as an adult, and wish I'd had your book for some of those trips, <laughs> um, but. You know, it was really interesting to go down memory lane and remember so many things that aren't there anymore. Even Luke and I, before he left, yeah. you know, we were reminiscing about some things. But one of the places I missed the most that I was the best was the Adventurers Club. Mm, yep. It was yep, the yep. greatest. And you could have gotten into some great trouble there, given the right yeah. scenario. And and they meant you to. I right. mean, it was it was a an adult location and... Um, it was surprising that, that, that existed in general, but it was so well done and it was so thematically coherent and immersive. And, um, yeah. And and again, for the listeners who might not know, this was a bar in a place called Pleasure Island, which was a whole bunch of bars. Um, and, but it was incredibly well-themed. It was themed like you're essentially going to someone's house who has collected artifacts from all over the world, like really weird artifacts. Um, and what they did that was really cool was they put, um, they hired, uh, actors to kind of dress up and interact with, with the guests, with the patrons, uh, in character as, as, uh, people who were of the era and are friends with this owner. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a magical place. Um, I've never seen anything like it before since. It was awesome. Yeah. What's interesting you bring that up because one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the what was the deal with Pleasure Island? Because I went once, I believe Brian Setzer and his orchestra were <laughs> oh, playing cool. for free. Nice. Which again to put give you a a timeline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember watching it was like a New Year's Eve is every night That's type right. thing. Yep. And I remember watching their New Year's Eve countdown on a random Tuesday and these people are running around in skin tight dance skins. Yes. And all I could think was, I don't know if Walt would dig this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if he would have either. And um, I think it's the only time I've ever had that thought in any of the places or of you know yeah. parks and but everything else. But it was sort of form to Pleasure Island in Pinocchio. 
That's right. Um, they, you know, the idea was that this was a place where the parents could go um, after hours, um, or the or the locals could go. Um, and originally, you paid a, just like you would for any of the parks. You paid to get in, and and um, you paid a ticket price. And then they kind of opened that up, and there was cover charge at the, at each bar and that's when it kind of went downhill where you just had people hanging out there not even going into the nightclubs or the bars um and and that wasn't good but when when it was a pretty solid entry price it was fun like you would you're right you would go every night they would do uh fireworks and confetti for for new year's eve um there were dance themed dance clubs um there was a comedy club like there was a country line dancing place there was a uh, more of a disco type thing. Um, oh, Heidi. I know. Oh, trust me. <laughs> I tore up eight tracks. Don't even get there me started. Yep. Yep. I uh, loved it. And I had most yep. of the memorabilia that was in there. <laughs> when you look at Disney World, to, to sort of hear you talk about it, to hear other people online talk about it, perhaps some of the more uh, Pixie Dusk-esque of fans... Mm. There's always this sense of, oh, this place was magical. How much of that do you think is a legit gripe, if that's the right word, to, man, they screwed this up. There was horizons. Now there's nothing. (laughs) This sucks. And how much of it is just a nostalgia for, you're not nostalgic for figment. You're nostalgic for the feeling you got the first time you were in that place and saw figment. I loved figment. Yeah, I mean, shocking. <laughs> I, um, you know, do you think Heidi that Figman is still living somewhere yeah. and is not deceased? Yeah. Okay, good. Hanging Just wanted out with to make Mr. sure. Mister we... Toad. There you go. And, and Captain yep. EO. And, and old, at the old Yeller. Yeah, and at, they're all staying yeah. at the Tower of Terror at the Hollywood Tower Hotel. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I just, it's an ongoing conversation we're having about Heidi not believing that animals pass away. But as you were saying, <laughs> I um, I it, you know that that's a valid question because I went to Epcot like opening day and I would have been six years old, um, and but I can tell you there is such a thing as Disney magic, and when they get it right, they get it right. And it's that feeling you get when you first walk on a main street and you're just like, you, you smell it, you hear it, you see it, and you just kind of breathe this sigh of relief. Like the, the world is left behind and you're in this kind of magical place where nothing, nothing bad happens. And I do think specifically with Epcot, the music, the landscaping, the architecture all combined to make a very distinct um, place. And it, it, did make you feel it was designed to make you feel a specific way and it did and over the years those things that the the imagineers were super smart back then not that they're not super smart now but they had a cohesive idea of of what they wanted you to feel and they knew how to execute it and when little bits of that started getting chipped away um that feeling got lessened and until a you know, you basically have now a hodgepodge of it's, it's kind of chaos. It's, it's, uh, none of it makes sense. And, and when you walk in now, you're kind of bombarded by things that are, are, um, that 
that don't fit with each other. And at least for me, it, it's a little anxiety inducing. Um, but back in the day it was not, it was just, um, it was something else. Um, I know I, and again, is that where you blew all that stuff up in the <laughs> Habston, the Disney Imagine or Saboteurs? That that, okay. that is. So that's my uh, yeah. <laughs> that's one of my novels, Habston, the Disney Saboteurs, and my, that was my that book was my reaction towards what uh, essentially Epcot has become now, and where I, I made a conscious decision at a certain point where I, I realized every time I, I I went there, I got depressed, I got angry. Um, I got just generally upset and I'm like, why am I paying to have these feelings? And I would go sit in like this one hallway that still played the old music and had the old architecture and like was just kind of old Epcot. And I just, I would sit there for like an hour and I'd be like, this is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so the book was kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm getting rid of all the crap that is crap now. It's, we're going to start over from scratch. And so in the book, uh, there's these people who are basically sabotaging Epcot and, and, and uh, destroying the things that suck. Uh, and so that was kind of my wish fulfillment fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not that I, of course, would actually would, – eh, well, never mind. This is the most – yeah, this is the healthiest way to, to deal with that. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's just such an interesting place, and I'm very confused by it in the sense <laughs> of – but just in that sense of like – what is the joy I'm taking from this? What is the, why is it when I hear some of those old records, just the incidental background music on some of those. Oh, sure. That I, that, that brings up this, this feeling of like, oh, that was a better time. Yeah. And, you know, it, Magic. I think, um, I tried, I, I tried to, to deal with that myself in the first novel that I wrote, the, our kingdom of dust, Mm -hmm. um, because it does, it does seem like a drug almost like it, it, it puts you into this feeling, this state of mind where I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. It really is something else. Like it's a feeling that you don't get from anything else. And, and I, my impression is it, it's an escape from reality. Like it, it puts you into another world. It, it lets you, um, Let's you forget about your troubles and and um, you know the second you walk through those gates and hear that music and smell those smells the 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 real world fades away it just melts away and and um, you can forget about your troubles for however long you're there and and in our kingdom of dust I I made that feeling a physical drug that people were taking when they couldn't be in the parks to get that feeling um, because. I talking to fans who I met after dark side of Disney came out. Um, I, I did, I did notice that a lot of the really hardcore Disney fans had a lot of rough stuff going on in their life. Things they were trying to escape from things. They, um, didn't want to deal with. Um, and they would go to the parks to escape and, um, which is obviously better than, you know, doing heroin or whatever, but it's the yeah. same effect. Um, you're basically still wiping away reality for a little while, um, which I found fascinating. And, and I realized I was doing that myself mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I could write from kind of a position of, of authority there. Cause I, when I, when I saw it in the extreme from them, I realized that I was doing it to an extent too. And, 
then just meeting so many fascinating people who had so many different different things going on with their lives um who were who were just uh at the parks every single day of the week um yeah yeah it, it really kind of touched me and kind of disturbed me and kind of <laughs> made me rethink my connection to to the parks and and exactly what you're saying why why do i feel that way when i just hear that music why do i feel that way when i smell that that uh cookie scent from the piping out of the, the uh, main street um you know i i don't know it, it it's worth examining um <laughs> and and it is worth asking about uh and it's still magic i mean no matter what you say it's there's there's just an indefinable thing there that they just they just do right and it's incredible to get any of Leonard's books, The Dark Side of Disney, or his two novels, Abstin the Disney Saboteurs, and Our Kingdom of Dust, and a whole bunch of other things we touched on during the interview, including drinking at Disney, make sure to check out bamboofortpublishing.com. For more Y content, including behind the scenes, additional photos and video, as well as outtakes, visit whythepodcast.com. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help other folks find us and join our cult. The more cult members you bring in, the better your seat will be on the mothership. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on social, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even LinkedIn. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hedquist, our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. Our intern is Randy Jeanette. The theme song was performed by the Electrosynthno Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?